Hi, everyone. Welcome to the 10th episode of By the Drip. This podcast is about coffee, entrepreneurship, and the people we meet through the amazing story of coffee. I'm your host, David Crosby, founder and CEO of Rosso Coffee Roasters. Today's guest is Anya B. In this episode, Anya and I were able to talk about her history as a model and being an accountant, then transitioning into starting her own business as a digital creator. She absolutely hates the word influencer. She shares the process of working with clients, her thoughts on overcoming fear to pursue creative work, and growing a following online as a byproduct of authenticity. It was a great conversation with Anya, and I hope you enjoy it too. Anya, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. You've worn a few different hats. Yeah. You're a model at age 13. Yes. After high school. Yeah. Became an accountant. After high, well, yeah, after university. Okay. I, I started working at an accounting firm in university. Okay. So I was, in total, I was doing it for about six years. And now blogging, social media, you got a massive following. Yeah. And you've worked for Canada Goose, Dyson, Lacoste, H&M, Coach, J. Crew. The list goes on. Yeah, lots. So how did, how did you get into modeling? We love our, all of our clients. <laughs> um, how did I get into modeling? It was really kind of a, a fallback thing for me because we just moved to Canada and the idea of like extracurricular activities was really not existent in Poland. Like you didn't go to school and then did something to like contribute to the school in any other way. You just went to school and you went home. And here people were doing like debate club and sports and other things. And I, one, I was very self-conscious of my accent. We just fresh off the boat. So I didn't really, debate was out of the question for sure. I'm not sporty at all. Like so not sporty that my gym teacher in elementary school would like pass me out of pity just because he didn't want me to not get into the next grade because of gym. Also lost that when I came here and all of a sudden needed to do like well in gym class. The only thing that I had going for me was that I was tall and skinny. <laughs> so my brother was doing accounting actually for a hair salon at the time. And the owner of the salon knew the modeling agency that I ended up going with. And so it just kind of came up as like, oh, well, you could do this. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Why not? Oh, interesting. And a, a fr- another friend of mine, uh, another Eastern European girl who was also just new to Canada. We were both one day just like standing in front of the mirror and we're like, maybe we could be models. Okay, let's be models. <laughs> so we went and like tried out and, and then it ended up sticking. So that was like my extracurricular activity for the next 14, 15 years. Wow. Yeah. So did you always have a passion for fashion and- no. Uh, it, it grew through. So, yeah, my, which is actually funny because my parents owned clothing stores when we were in Poland, but it was such a different world. It's like you didn't own clothing stores because you were into fashion or whatever. Like they were running businesses for the sake of having a business to have a job and to make money and stuff. And because in that world, there was really nothing right. Like when I was growing up, Poland didn't have access to new brands or like brands that was such a such a weird concept like the way that we know 
I guess, retail today just did not exist back then. So they like literally went and had and bought jeans from local manufacturers and then just resold them at their stores. And people would buy them because jeans were like such a taboo thing in Eastern Europe before I was born up to like 89. I don't know if you've ever watched like Atomic Blonde. But no. there's like a whole storyline there about how jeans are illegal and you have to like buy them in the in the black market and stuff. And that shit's real. <laughs> so anyway, so my parents had denim stores and uh, when I was growing up, different stores before that and their store is like pretty crazy too. But I was never into fashion. I was always like a super late bloomer. Like we came to Canada, I was 13. I was still playing toys. I would always tell my mom for Christmas, I want toys. I don't want clothes. And so I wish I was though, because now looking back at it, even, even my like journey with modeling, I never really got into fashion until I was too old really to model. So then I got into fashion when I started blogging and then like, now I have, now I understand it a lot more. So if I had that understanding when I was modeling of fashion and the industry and the business side of things, I think my journey in that would have been different as well. Cause a lot of the time, like I was really, and this is part of my upbringing as well is a lot of the times my parents would just be like, okay, well, this is your activity after school things. So you're not going to, you're not going to sacrifice school for this. School is always number one. You always have to have a backup plan. We actually just talked about this yesterday with my mom. There was never like this thing of my parents being like, you can do anything you want to do. You know, whatever you dream, you can make happen. My life has always been like, you're going to go to university and you're going to have a degree and you're going to, you know, be an accountant, lawyer, or doctor. I mean, the very stereotypical immigrant family right. values. But yeah, like now I see girls that get into modeling and they know how to pose and they, you know, like get style and things like that. A lot of the times when I was traveling for modeling, even my agency would always give me shit for like wearing a backpack or like just kind of looking like a tomboy and not going to castings looking the, the proper way. And because of my mentality around that, it being kind of like a B plan, it's not really my main focus. I wasn't able to give 100% of myself into it. And so it's that it suffered a lot, you know, at some point it was kind of like, I wasn't really giving a hundred percent of myself to school or to modeling or to anything because I wanted to please my parents and I wanted to do things that I liked and that brought me joy and stuff. And so in the end, it just like my late bloomingness kind of followed me further into life, into everything. Like I, I still feel like I'm a late bloomer in everything I do. Everything I'm like, oh, I'm like five years. If I was just able to do this, what I'm doing today, five years ago, I would have all this extra time. Right. But in the end of the day, it's like, you know, you don't get extra time. This is what you have. So you have to make today count and, and the things that you have now. So no regrets. Always try to live my life with no regrets, but always kind of introspective of what could have been done better. And how can I now go into the future? You know, With learning from my mistakes. Yeah. 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 So modeling was plan B plan A mm -hmm. was university cool. accounting. Yeah. Those, yeah. those two things, you know, that's <laughs> like saying my grandma and her Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. They don't add I mean, up. Like it doesn't cool seem. Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I mean, accounting was the thing because so my brother came to Canada in 89. He's 16 years older than me. Oh, wow. And he finished. So he came like his story is crazy. I, like everybody out of my family, their stories are so much crazier than mine. But I'm the one that ends up talking about mine all the time, you know, which I understand also there's things to, to learn from it as well. But so my brother came in 89 and he actually finished high school here. So he came by himself. 
Oh, wow. Before the internet, like it cost a fortune to call North America right. from right. Europe at the time, you know? So it was like, just imagining when you, when you hear stories about what his, you know, journey to Canada and to like where he is at now was, it's like, wow, like I feel like a useless potato <laughs> in comparison, you know, like he came to Canada and he, he slept on a mattress that he, sh that he, um, fished out of the garbage, oh, Wow, you know, like he was so dirt poor and just like really made things happen for himself by himself. Really. I mean, obviously with the help of my parents financially and stuff, but not without challenges either. Like my parents, my mom was supportive. She was like, you will go and, and do whatever you want because you know that this is going to work, hopefully. And if it doesn't, you can always come back home. But my dad was always kind of like, if it works, then it's thanks to me. But if it doesn't, then what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> you know? But yeah, so my brother, my brother came to Canada in 89 and he ended up finishing accounting at school as a result of like talking to his school counselor and stuff. And so, and my parents uh, my mom had finished economics school in Poland and because they had businesses, it was always kind of like accounting and business kind of went hand in hand. My path into accounting was just kind of a family thing. Everybody was doing it. My brother had a firm at that point, his own business. So it was easy for me to get an in. So why not just do that? And because, you know, I mean, after you finish high school, how much do you know of what you want to do in your, right. in your future? You know, right. I know very select few people are lucky enough to know what they want to do with themselves after high school. I don't think schools in general give you a very good preparation for, you know, what the future is going to look like. They know nobody even t teaches you how to do taxes in high school, yeah. which is like the most basic skill I feel like now to have. So the accounting was just kind of like a family thing, basically. And so did modeling kind of start to wane while you were doing accounting or you were doing both of them at the same time? Yeah, I was doing them both at the same time. And I had a very hard time with like sacrificing one for the other. Well, <laughs> sacrificing modeling for accounting. I, I probably could have sacrificed accounting at any time, <laughs> at any point, but that would, but that would upset my parents. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I'm, I know I'm not the only one that that has this like hang up with always wanting to please my parents, you know? And so at some point I released myself from it. I was like, okay, well now I'm old enough. I take care of myself. I pay for my own bills. I have my own place. I'm doing all the things right. All the things that my parents wanted me to do, I'm here. And so now I just need to finally start living for myself. But for the longest time, it was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't decide on what I wanted more. Did I want to make myself happy or did I want to make my parents happy? And when you're younger too, you feel like you have an unlimited, unlimited amount of time. Right. You know, you're like, oh, I'm only 21. I have so much time. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll just do this. I'll just please my parents. And then at some point I'm just going to be able to do my own thing. But it doesn't work like that. <laughs> I was lucky enough to be working for a family member, but my brother really didn't want to give me any kind of preferential treatment. Like he made it very obvious that he was going to go the opposite right. way of that because he didn't want to upset anybody else. Meanwhile, everybody, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty likable person. Everybody at the office likes me and everybody's like, why is your brother not treating you better? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, why isn't he? But anyway, so I never really dealt with my brother. He had other partners in the firm. So I always dealt with them. Okay. So it was like, so you're not really working for me you're working for them you know, at some point it was like, great, we can, I can marry modeling and my work and I can go and take the time off when I need to. But, you know, after a while it kind of 
started becoming an issue and they were like, you can't leave all the time. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to give that up. So, you know, it's like, I don't want to give anybody ultimatums, but at the end of the day, what ended up happening was that I met Tyler and he was living in Victoria at the time. And it kind of gave me the courage to just quit my job and focus on the things that I wanted to do. And not to say that I didn't actually try to go and work in accounting in Victoria. Cause I was like, well, this is a stable job. It's like the easier w- way, I guess the easier way to make money. But then at the end of the day, it was just not for me. I, I went to a different firm that w- I was not really connected to in any way. And I was like, I just don't care about this at all. Right. So at the end I quit my job to focus on modeling, but I was too old to continue with modeling really. Cause I was like 26 and that was when I started blogging. And so what year would this have been? I started my blog in 2000, like at the end of 2009, oh, at the wow. very beginning of like blogging. blogging. Yeah. Like, and Canada, I feel like is so backwards a little bit, a little behind. Right. I should yes, say yes. with a lot of things, but by the time anybody even knew what a blog was, I feel like we were just all moving on to Instagram and um, so for the longest time, I was just telling people that, yeah, I, I'm a blogger. I have a blog and nobody even like knew what that meant. And I didn't make money on it for the longest time either, because, you know, as a result of people not knowing what it was, people not engaging with it, companies and brands and sponsors weren't really spending money on it either. So it took, I started in 2009, I, I say 2010 because it was like December, 2009. So I started in 2010 and then I didn't get my first like blogging client until 2014. Wow. So up to, up till then, Tyler and I were working on, and Tyler and I didn't actually meet until 2000, 2012. So prior to that, I, I literally started my blog when I was in an office and my accounting office and my accounting job, I had extra time. So I just started a blog. I was encouraged by a lot of my friends who are photographers. It was just, man, and just talking about this is just such a different world back then. Cause back then it was like, you couldn't uh, really showcase your work anywhere. There wasn't really a place. Magazines took submissions very rarely. And if a magazine didn't want to publish your work, then where would you go? So it kind of became the blog birthed itself as a result of us just not having places to showcase our work because we were being creative and and creating things all the time with my photographer friends, but then nowhere to showcase it. So they had, they had uh, shows at their, at their studios and stuff like that, which was nice, but also it's not as instant and, and not as much quantity as I Mm. wanted. Cause I just want to create every day and share it every day and just be excited about things all the time. Like, I feel like that's what drives my creativity uh, versus like working on one project for very long time. And then just showcasing it at the, you know, like once a year or something that doesn't satisfy me enough. (laughs) So yeah. So I started my blog because, okay, well now I can publish it on my own page. This has a place on the internet. People can visit and see it. But you know, it was so like small potatoes, even, even the, the quality of the photos that right. even if, if I go back now to try to save a photo from 2009, it's just such low quality, it's right. such garbage. So can I, can I ask a quick question? Yeah. What was the conversation like in 2009 when you're going to mm-hmm. quit, you know, you got a stable job mm-hmm. and you're going to go into the risk of, you know, entrepreneurship. Yeah. What did Tyler say that convinced you or. Well, was Tyler, there a conversation that you had or? Yeah, Tyler was, Tyler was very supportive because he's also comes from a background of 
being a creative and working an office job and then quitting and then going back to back and forth all the time. I feel like his maybe family dynamics are a little bit different. Like his parents were a little more loose with how they allowed him to do things versus mine were so, so strict, but my parents were so not happy at all. I mean, I met Tyler and they were like, he's a photographer. That's not a real job. What kind of job is that? Oh my God. It was like a family tragedy. So then when I told them that I was going to quit my job and which is so funny to now looking back at it at the time when I was quitting my job, the conversation was that like, I don't have to quit. I can work remotely. Not a big deal. Like a lot of the things that I was doing for the, you're away at the remote work. Oh my God. 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit, but you know, and they didn't want to let me because they're like remote work. No, you have to be here. Like we need you here. So anyway, so, so that forced me to quit because I'm like, well, I, I can't, if I want to be with Tyler, then I can't be here. And then it was just like a location logistical issue. And my parents weren't happy. It never went to like, as far as they, them not talking to me or anything like that. We actually went through, we went through some drama when I was a teenager, like wanting to gain my independence and stuff. I like ran away from home to my boyfriend's house at the time. And I'm like, I'm not moving back until I have a car. <laughs> and so they, they ended up helping to buy me a car. Anyway, that's, it sounds like such a spoiled thing, but it was a very dramatic moment in my life. I like, my parents never really, they, when we came to Canada, it was so weird because they were looking at other kids and other people here and they were just like, well, this is how it's done here. So we're not going to be treating you the same way that we did when we were in Poland, where we were pretty well off. But all of a sudden now, like my parents didn't have jobs and they were really just living off of the money that they had there. And it's such a funny like, I don't know, you, you think about it now and you're like, wow, what a brat I was to just like assume things right. that I didn't really know very much about at all. But yeah, so Tyler was ov- obviously very supportive. And funny enough, when we met, I was like, so if I wanted to quit my job and just be supported by you, would you do that? <laughs> and he was like, he really didn't want to say no, but he didn't want to say yes either. So I had some money saved and I quit my job and then I tried looking for another job in Victoria. And then I was like, no, I just, I kind of really want to try to just be doing creative things and like seeing where that can take us. So we started a company together. Then we ended up doing a production company where we were shooting stock photos, which is Tyler's background. And because of my background in modeling, all of the contacts that I had and my network of people, it was really easy for me to put on like the shoes of a producer. Mm. So now all of a sudden I'm producing shoots and also shooting because when Tyler and I met, I had been photographing people. My blog was kind of like a street style blog for a second because I didn't have anybody taking photos of me all the time. I was taking photos of other people. And so I wanted to be a photographer and that's how we ended up sort of bonding with Tyler over photography. And so both of us shooting and then me producing And then Tyler doing the edits because he's so much faster at it than I am. It was just like a no brainer. We're going to, this is the business that we're going to do. So then we started doing it and it was, it was working. We were like, we're making money on this and people are interested and excited and supportive, which was very important. And at this time you're just doing stock photos, the two of you. Stock photo. Well, so no, we've, we've never really had only one thing going on. Okay. So Stock photos. And then Tyler was also working at Stocksy, which is a stock photo website. You can just go and buy photos there. And because his background is from iStock. Okay. So when he took photos by himself, it's, it was never very elevated. It was kind of just, I'm just going to be shooting anything like tomato and a potato on a white background or whatever. Right. <laughs> and so 
I brought in an Very element. supportive. <laughs> I brought in an element of like style and fashion. And because when Stocksy became a thing, their biggest thing was that it's stock photos that don't look like stock photos. Uh, lifestyle, things that people, things that you could find on Pinterest, things that you could like, think like inspirational, aspirational images. So it was kind of a very obvious marriage of like aesthetics and styles between Tyler and I, and it just made sense. So he was doing the stock, uh, he was working at Stocksy doing, he was doing design and I was, and I was then taking care of the business side of the business as well. So all the communications, all of the accounting, obviously right. all of the, like the nitty gritty of behind the scenes and then producing everything and stylizing it and getting models together, locations, all of that stuff. So, which I love, I mean, to this day we do that and not stock so much, but now we have a full on production company where we work with clients not just for social media, but then we also have clients who just get us to develop their content for them that doesn't have anything to do with us personally. Mm -hmm. So we never, never just done one thing. Um, then when Tyler, for a moment, Tyler quit Stocksy and we were just doing, focusing on my blog and Instagram. And, and then he got into YouTube because he had a YouTube channel previously before we knew each other. Actually, funny story. I, when I was buying my first camera, I was watching his video. No way. Yeah. About which camera to buy. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, yeah, small world. But, um, so then he wanted to go get back into YouTube. So of course for a moment, it's always funny because it's like, there's always a power struggle between which thing at the time deserves most of our attention. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like, it's really scary to just put all of your eggs in one basket, especially in a market that's smaller, like Calgary for us, even though our clients are from all over the world, we still don't have the continuous access to things that people do if they live in Toronto, if they live in LA. And now because of COVID, obviously the travel thing has just been put on hold and we've been trying to do as much of it as we can, but logistically speaking, we still want to be on the ground for clients if somebody here needs us too. Do you have any advice for someone who's kind of maybe going through a similar transition in their career of, you know, I'm an accountant, but I, mm -hmm. my real passion is yeah. you know, video games or something else yeah. and, and how to yeah. hedge your bets or, you know, risk management. Yeah. I mean, I think that a hundred percent just do it and don't wait. I think, I mean, I know a lot of people that, that are just scared to, quit their jobs. They, they need a steady paycheck and they need to know that they're going to be covered for the next month and whatever. But I feel I found, and I'm sure that you will agree as well, is that money always finds its way to you. Mm -hmm. Like if you are in need of it, you're going to figure out a way to make it. And so sometimes the fear and the, the, the scariness of it is what propels you forward. And without having that, you will never really grow because you're always going to be comfortable. You're going to be like, oh, well, I, I can, I always, I always have a backup plan. I always have some, something to fall back on. But if you really don't have a choice, then it's, that's really when you're starting to be more creative about everything that's happening around you. But um, just, yeah. So just do it, like quit your job is the biggest thing because, you know, like the one thing that I learned, even going back to modeling and, and doing school and stuff, if you don't put a hundred percent of yourself into something, then it's, it's not going to happen. You know, it's, there's always going to be something in the way of you not putting 
that focus on whatever it is that you want to do. But also you have to have enough money saved up so that when you are in the place of like, oh, I'm struggling and I don't know if I'm going to have a job next month, that you don't have to worry about it. You know, it's like, okay, well, I have enough money to pay for my bills this month so I can focus on just like hustling and going to see clients, potential clients or, you know, networking or doing whatever. And it does look a lot different today than it did before. But FaceTime is always the most valuable Mm. thing and always will be like, no matter how much the internet takes over our lives, you will never gain as much benefit for your business with FaceTime as you will, you know, just like cold calling somebody or DMing them on Instagram or whatever, if you're able, of course. How about failure? Has has that ever been a barrier for you or you, you just like dust yourself off and try the next either idea or project or... Oh no. Blogging wasn't going well. So I'm going to switch to Facebook and then to Instagram. And obviously failure is always like the, the devil on your shoulder, you know, it's always around. And even today it's like, if I don't get, you know, a new job this week or whatever, I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm never going to work again. That imposter syndrome always around always Um, just feeling like, you know, somehow I just feel like, I got here by luck somehow. And I, it's not really because of hard work. I actually just read an article today that really kind of pissed me off because it was about, uh, it was it was an influencer. I just skimmed through it, but it was like an influencer from the UK got in trouble because she said something about working hard will really give you everything that you ever wanted or whatever. And mm. people don't, don't like the sound of that or something. And I'm like, I'm confused. So are you saying that like working hard versus just being a bump on a log is is not like, is not enough. I I don't get it. So, but yeah, but that, so, you know, you, you see things like that and you're like, well, this is confusing. So I'm not supposed to work hard. Can I just sit back and wait things to happen for me and to me and stuff. But you know, at the same time, it's like, you have to give yourself credit. You have to give yourself the, the pat on the, on the shoulder or on the back or whatever that you deserve. Because at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, fear is really going to motivate you and give you a kick in the butt but you still do have to believe in yourself enough to go, you know, to go out in the world and sell yourself. Cause ultimately that's what it's all about. It's like, why am I better than the next person? Why do I deserve this more than somebody else? And then not only convincing yourself, but then convincing other people. Hopefully you also, there's so many factors to this. Hopefully you also have the skills (laughs) that are required for you to succeed in this because a lot of the times, and this is something that I've, I've said uh, on podcasts in the past, and I feel like it's never something that people want to hear. It's like, oh, well, I can't really run with this. I can't sell this. But if you're not good at something and you're trying to make that something happen, then you're just kind of like, it's not going to go anywhere. Just know your strengths, you know, like it's okay not to be good at everything. You know, if you're not, you know, not everybody can model. So you're going to go and do something else. And you could be a casting director and you can have more power than anybody else in that room. And so what is it, what is it that you are really good at? I think that's the biggest thing for people to, to realize is like, don't just quit your job to pursue any random business or thing. Quit your job to do something that you know you can do excellent and well and better than the next person, you know? Do you equate hard work with dealing with self-doubt? Is that uh, how you get through self-doubt? No, no, I don't know. That's such a hard question. It's because I don't have an answer for it. Like I still have self-doubt all the time. And the only way that I get through it is just like 
talking to myself all the time about like, you know, having like an in, internal dialogue, looking at my past work maybe, and giving myself that pat on the back about what I have done and how I shouldn't be afraid. And also just like taking my own advice, you know, seeing, seeing what I have done in the past and how I did it and just continuing that into the future. Because I, th I think a lot of the times what, what limits people is also age and time. Like, I feel like the older we get, the less risk averse we become. Mm. And that takes work. That takes a lot of work to just be reminding yourself. I know a lot of people who are older, who do, do like jobs that are creative jobs that you really would associate with younger, maybe like new generations, whatever. But it's like, well, why do you want to quit this? If you're really good at it. And when you really look at the world and the people that are the best in the entire world at things like the best photographers, the best stylists, they're all older people. They're not like just brand new kids. You know, there are those like prodigy cases for sure, but I've, I've started to seek out people that are older than me, a lot older than me so that I have something to look up to mm. and something to look forward to and not always feel like, Oh my God. Well, because in my business, our business, the biggest thing is the generations that brands and sponsors market to for, you know, for when we started, it was millennials. So millennial right. was the thing we were just entering. We're like, this is the market's hot for millennials. So we're like in the right place at the right time. <clears throat> but now the market's hot for Gen Z. You can't fake that. You can't be a Gen Z when you're a millennial, right? And sometimes I have people on Instagram like trolling me and telling me I'm a boomer. And I'm like, you asshole. <laughs> like, I feel like I look pretty young for my age. But anyway, so that kind of thing, listening to other people and not listening to other people and just knowing what the truth actually is, kind of blocking out all of the noise in the back and just kind of having blinders on and going forward for what you want and not forgetting how you got here and the skills and things that make you unique and make you better than other people and other, you know, like the, the work that I look at that we have done. And then when I compare it to my peers or people that are just entering the market even, or getting the cool gigs, or, you know, it's like, well, no, I still can produce better work than so many of those other people. So this is why people want to hire us. This is why people want to work with us. On top of the fact that, like I said, FaceTime and relationships, there's so many things that go into running a business and, you know, like a freelance business, especially. You and your husband are working, it's 2014. What's kind of the next step here? How do you, you go from stock photography to you got the blog going mm -hmm. and you've shifted to Instagram at this point? Yeah. Yeah. About 2014, I would say first like Instagram gigs start coming up and, and we, again, it's like never put all your eggs in one basket, you know, still continue blogging, still do client projects, come up with our own creative projects to continue inspiring ourselves. Obviously at, you know, 2014, the workload is a lot less than it is now, but it gives us more time to kind of hone in on the craft and, and practice more and make sure to better ourselves. Every time you do something new, you want it to be better. You know, when you look at, when you look back at your work, even a year ago, you want to say like, wow, I'm embarrassed <laughs> because, because yep. that's really the, yep. that's really the, 
the evolution the evolution and like you want to know that you have grown that you're getting better that you're not getting worse or you know becoming stagnant so that that's always something that uh we we work and strive towards and obviously again the self-doubt thing and in in the time i'm the worst for this in the moment of creating something and working on a project i'm like this is the worst thing we've ever done this is garbage i can't stand this and then i i need time like i really do need time between things to go back and look at it and be like damn like we did really good like this is great i don't know if we could do this today it's a blessing and a curse i guess so maybe you can give uh listeners like a baseline a brand would approach you mm-hmm. about new boots or something. Yeah. Could you run us through what, what that behind the scenes looks like? And yeah, people always, it's a, it's a very common question because people don't really understand how it works. And a lot of, a lot of the times the question is like, do you pitch or do people come to you? We've been very lucky and we've never really had to pitch much. Whenever we do pitch, it's because we want to work with the brand. Like it's something that we feel passionate about or we really love the brand and they haven't come to us yet. So we will reach out and be like, if we feel like it's time. We see that you're doing things with other people. We would love to get in the mix. But generally people have been approaching us also because we've been doing it for so long. So a lot of the success I feel for us is because we were the first adopters of all of the platforms. And like Tyler was on YouTube at the very, really, really kind of the very beginning. Instagram, I mean, you know, I got it. I was using, like I was using Instagram when people were just using Instagram filters, you know, like not really editing their photos outside of the app and stuff and hipstagram or hipstamatic. You remember that app? I'm not not too techie. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, so because we were the first ones and in the market of Canada, we were really the first Canadian bloggers when companies were entering into that market, we were the first people that we were the first call, uh, which is amazing. And because of that, we were able to build relationships. So the hard work doesn't come in being noticed, which it kind of does because you still have to do the work, but the, the real work is maintaining relationships, building relationships, also building like genuine real relationships that aren't just based on, well, I am only talking to you because you might give me a job. You know, like I want to gain actual friendships from talking to these potential clients and, and PR people and people in other places like the, and this is something that I've had conversations with you know, marketing professionals as well, is that kind of entitlement. I think this is why people don't like influencers a lot is that entitlement of, well, I have an Instagram account, so you will pay me whatever I ask you. And then really this is all that it's about, but it isn't. So that's a really big part of it. But yeah, so a brand, back to your question, a brand will email us and they will usually, you know, a promotion or a project revolves around a new product launch or some kind of a milestone for the brand. Like if they're celebrating an anniversary of some kind, or if they have a new, you know, footwear department now available, or if there's a collaboration with a celebrity that they're doing, that they want to spread the word around to our audience that maybe they wouldn't have access to otherwise. So they will email us and then we will uh, go back and forth, usually on the cost of what, what this promotion will cost them, uh, but also what we will do for them. Usually it's kind of like a give and take of this is what we would love to do for you. This is the idea that we have. And 
we've also been lucky in ways that people are very receptive to our ideas and our concepts. And again, this is like our background doing all these creative things before even, you know, coming into the social media arena. So we have a lot of flexibility and freedom with the kind of creative work that we can do for, for clients. And then, yeah, then we agree on a price and a big thing, I think for people that are starting out, uh, which we can talk about later, but knowing your worth mm. is, you know, just because you're building a relationship and you want a good relationship with somebody doesn't mean that you, especially if you want this to be your business, you don't want to be selling yourself short. And then, and then we will go out and create whatever content we agreed to, which is usually photos and now video, obviously with reels and TikTok and all of this. Sometimes clients don't want approval and sometimes they want approval either direction. We're always creating things in mind with, you know, like, is this brand going to like this? Obviously when we're shooting for clothing brands, we don't want other logos in there and things that are very obvious to us, but maybe not so obvious to other people. I think over time, because of the amount of influencers that exist in the world now, brands get burned a lot. Mm. You know, they, they send out this commission into the world and they want somebody to shoot something for them and they come back with something that they would never want to share because it has other logos in it or because it has content that maybe doesn't match the brand aesthetic or whatever. So there's a lot of things that go into creating a piece of content, just thought-wise. And then we will post it. And that's the end of that. And then I send out an invoice and then we get paid three to six months from the date. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's the, that's the downside. Yeah, that's the downside of being a freelancer. I mean, there's a lot of people that you will talk to that encourage people to take down deposits and things like that. But we, because we are lucky that, you know, our clients are usually bigger brands and established brands. We don't generally worry about not getting paid, which is good. Do you like the term influencer? No, I hate it so okay. much from the very beginning, okay. like when it was, when it was starting. But I mean, I feel like at this point, it's just so widely used that, you know, even an average person that doesn't have anything to do with social media knows what that means. So you just use it for the ease of it, I guess. But it comes with so much baggage that, you know, we, what we use, we use creator. We are creators. Digital creators is what we are because we don't just create for ourselves. We also create for clients outside of our channels. And at the end of the day, I really don't consider myself a salesperson, which I feel like there's, there's kind of different categories of influencers in my mind. Like there's definitely people that are very focused on sales, mm. uh, people who use affiliates and who make a lot, a lot of money doing that, oh, really? um, who are just very good at doing that. And I feel like what our brand is, it's not a sales brand. It's an inspirational, aspirational brand where we provide people with valuable content, information that they might not otherwise have gotten somewhere else, opinions we share alive. It's, it's kind of a, a mix of different things for us. So I don't, whenever, whenever there's a conversation about CPMs, any kind of affiliate structure with a client, I just don't even want to touch it because I'm not, our lives are really fast. We are doing a lot of things at once and I don't have time to just, you know, be jumping on Instagram every day and just selling, selling, selling. And also I do not like that when I'm watching other people doing that and somebody's trying to, to sell me something at every moment of the day, I'm, I just do not respond to that at all. 
I will unfollow somebody for that. So why would I be the hypocrite and be doing the same thing? So does the business come in waves or do you find it's like you work for two months and you're working on four different projects mm -hmm. or do you just have one project in the pipeline? In, it's not really waves. It's very dependent on seasonality. I mean, retail clients are the majority of our clients, brands that do sell products. So, you know, Christmas is very big, like Valentine's Day. Every time that there is a thing that you would, if you go to, uh, to the mall and they have changed their windows or whatever, it's time for a new project. Right. You know, it's time for a new promotion or something. That's kind of like, we are kind of correlated to that a lot. Tyler's a little bit different because he does tech reviews and stuff. So he's more, I mean, he's correlated with launches of mm. whatever new piece of tech comes out and stuff. But, you know, in the like in the middle of all of that, we're also trying to do things that we love that does, has nothing to do with launches or seasonality or anything like that. Like we will travel obviously and, and document the things that we really care about and we love to do. I feel like our jobs really allowed us to live life a lot fuller because now we're like, we're trying new things because we want to encourage other people to live their lives to the fullest. Like, well, we, we took up skiing quite late in our lives. Like I was 29, 26, maybe when I started skiing. So even that, you know, having gone, having gone through the, the like growing pains of being on the ski hill and trying to take a photo while I'm doing it in a cute outfit and then being ridiculed by all these like pro skiers and snowboarders around me. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm the only reason I really got into it is because I found a cute outfit that now I need to be able to go and use. So I'm going to learn how to ski or I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to push myself and do something that I might not necessarily do. I mean, I guess skydiving would be a good example, but I've never done it. Okay. <laughs> We've done indoor skydiving, oh, but sure. like indoor skydiving. So we have a new indoor skydiving place in Calgary. And my job is to share that with people because it's something new and exciting that they could do. And it's something new and exciting that I could do. So now I'm, I'm going to try it because I'm not going to go out and be like, you should try this without me ever actually having gone inside of that tube and kind of being the lab rat for it, I guess, is the uh, good. How, how is it? It's pretty crazy, yeah. intense. Yeah. It's like you're literally in a, in a tunnel and this wind is just like coming at you and you have to control your body with like the smallest movements. I would be too scared to go skydiving in oh, real really? life. Yeah, so I feel like this is a really great intermediate inter step yeah it's perfect because there's also somebody in there with you so they're making sure that you're not going to hurt yourself and then when when you come out and they like kind of want to show off the people that are there and they're they are crazy the, sh the stuff that they can do it's like it's like acrobatics inside of a wind tunnel right. it's really impressive so it's like you know small things like i even just thinking back to like before social media trying new restaurants that's a good example uh, before social media and because I'm such a creature of habit, I would probably just eat at the same restaurant for the rest of my life. If I wasn't forced by myself, really, to go out and see these places, because now I get excited about seeing a new restaurant because of the the design. So, you know, now restaurants are so beautiful and people really put a lot of work into them. So I want to see the interior design and then I want to try the food and then, oh my gosh, I can, you know, there's so much in the world to try and right. do and uh, so it's like, I'm kind of living that I'm living my life and, and having all these adventures with other people watching and hopefully encouraging other people to do the same thing and, you know, be excited because 
Otherwise, we'd just, especially now during COVID too, we'd just be sitting inside and, right. and crying so. <laughs> for the last two years. This podcast is sponsored by Rosso Coffee Roasters. You can check out the Home Coffee Plan subscription on the website, www.rosocoffeeroasters.com. This week's subscription coffee is from Brazil. It's from a farm called Pedro Branca, and it's a wonderfully processed coffee. I'm drinking a cup of it right now, and to me, it tastes like dark chocolate up front and a lingering grapefruit note on the finish. Enjoy sipping on some of this amazing coffee while listening to my chat with Anya B. How did you grow your social media? If, if you got some tips and tricks for people listening on how to grow their business or personal yeah. account, what, um, what would you recommend? I mean, the biggest thing for me is authenticity and just being real, not being hypocritical. You know, it's easy in this industry to follow the money mm. and not your heart, I guess would be how I would say it. My journey is a little bit different from anybody else because I, I was featured on Instagram in the early days a few times. Oh, wow. So they had a community, like a whole community team before Instagram got sold to Facebook. So my growth was really in that time before it was Facebook. And because it was a community thing, people were excited to see what we were doing. They loved connecting. They still do. I mean, there's always a core group of people that are always very engaged that are, you know, like-minded people, like-minded people will always find each other. And there's a lot of tips that you can find online about, you know, finding your niche. And in the past, it used to be like literally post at this time of the day. Right. But that changed when the chrono chronological order was taken away. And I mean, once Instagram was sold to Facebook, it was just kind of like you knew that it was what, exactly what was going to happen to businesses on Facebook. Businesses used to have Facebook pages and they were growing really like fast and a lot. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden you had to pay to play. And we were just like, this is just a matter of time. I mean, now we're at this point when where you mentioned chronological order on Instagram to people. A lot of people don't even know what that is because that was so long ago. Yeah, you can find a lot of tips and tricks and people will sell you the, the formula. And there's really, I don't think that there's a formula. There's no secret sauce to, to growing your following. Everybody's trajectory and journey is different. Everybody has something different to offer. I actually am, I am the enemy of niche counts or whatever people that just like want to do one thing and one thing only. I like that when I'm looking for a very specific thing, but I just always, I guess, I guess the advice would be do what you like to see. Mm. Do what you like to watch because that kind of gives you an idea of what people respond to. So you will find the people that will respond to what you want, what you like to do. And then you find your tribe. That's how you find the people that, that you are talking to basically is by looking into what you like. And I think that's the best way of growing because when you're fo too focused on doing the niche and just like, just, I, just imagining doing that in my head is like, that will make you pretty miserable really fast. Like it's like when you have a hobby and then the hobby becomes your job it becomes less enjoyable if you're not doing it the right way. So you don't want to find yourself in that place, I feel. And you, ha you have very, like a bunch of different divisions, like you're on YouTube, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram. So you don't have all your eggs on, in one basket. Yeah, I did. It was like that before. Now it's because it's so time consuming to do any one thing. 
Like I even had abandoned my blog a little bit and I'm now when things are changing and shifting even more, I'm really not loving what's becoming of Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I want to go back to my blog and just be doing my own platform because this is the thing, you know, a lot of people are complaining of, of censorship starting right. to, you know, sneak its way into the platforms that we're using. And so now I'm like, well, you know, it's not like my content's political or anything like that. I don't really want to talk about serious things, social media and online things are very entertainment based for me. Like I only really want to go on the internet to be entertained, to be inspired, to feel good. I don't want to be going and seeking things that make me unhappy. So I wouldn't want to be projecting that into the world either, but just seeing how easy it is to lose, you know, really anything that you've built on these platforms really is a case for having your own space online is like having your own website, having your own shop or whatever, so that you're not relying on these other platforms that could really just disappear at any time. You know, they probably won't, but they might change. Or the the algorithm changes and all of a sudden. Exactly. Yeah. Change to the way that you don't like it. Or so many, so many photographers right now are complaining because Instagram is just so reels based. They want to be TikTok now. And, you know, I don't love it either. I never really loved video very much because it's a lot more time consuming. Again, like I really love to share a lot as much as I can in a small amount of time. So to make a video and to make impactful, meaningful, valuable video to me is not just like a snap of the fingers. And I feel like now I'm seeing from like a creative standpoint, I'm seeing just so much garbage online. It's just, it's so littered with people, people just doing the same trend over and over. And that's what makes you noticed, which I don't understand as a creative person. I'm like, I want to be different. I want to do the different things as an influencer. You know, if this is the word we're using, I want to be influencing people. I want to be the trendsetter. I don't want to be the trend follower. So how do I do that? And I mean, that's a big struggle for me right now is just not only getting what I want from these platforms, but also feeling like, you know, taking them and, and also using them to my advantage. Because at the same time, it's like, you know, if you don't adapt, then you're just going to be lost in the mix. Or I don't want to be the person that's like discounting all of this and saying like, oh, it's garbage. I don't ever want to like look at it. And even though I don't, I do have to find a way. I'm trying to find ways in which I enjoy it. The things that inspire me on it. So what am I going to be making? So I'm, you know, in the process of, of doing that still. And, and in the meantime, still creating the things that I love and I love to share. And hopefully I, I'll get to that point. And hopefully I feel like everything takes a moment. Maybe now, you know, everybody's really excited about TikTok that they can do all this stuff, but how long is it going to last? I don't know. We'll see. Th- this is the thing is like, if you're, you need to create because you love to do it. Don't do it for other people. Don't do it for the views. Don't do it for becoming viral. So many people just like, even clients, we have clients that come to us and they're like, well, we want this to be viral. It's like, okay, well, I can't guarantee it. Like, it's not up to me. Just that, that mentality of like people chasing that dream. And then when you become viral and then what? Then that means that you're going to have, the next thing you do has to be viral too, because now you got the taste of it and you want to, to do more of it. But then you realize how much work it takes to, you know, it's, it's some, and some things are, are well thought out and some things are just completely random. I mean, like there's actually, I just found that this out recently. There's an agency now 
that signs people who become viral. So you will have a you will have a viral video. You you did something crazy, and you know it it went on Ellen, the Ellen Show. They will contact you. They will find you, and they will sign you to their agency because just in case you actually produce something else that becomes viral. But so many of these things are also just like one hit, one hit wonders too. We're living in a really strange time right now. I feel like content wise and create creator wise, it's a lot of people are just kind of, you know, like throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Basically, it's an exciting time if you're like starting out and you're a teenager and you have all this time in the world. But when you're trying to run a business and also care about the things that you do, it can be scary. <laughs> what about the dark side of social media? Yeah. You got people saying negative things or mm-hmm. coming in DMs. Like I could only imagine what you put up with. How do you, I don't know yeah. if there's a story. That- uh, I don't have any crazy stories. Oh, maybe. Um, nothing, not, like, nothing like super crazy. I, I'm actually pretty resilient and slash people don't really attack me very often. I feel like because I go on my social media, the person that I am, I'm just who I am. So when what you see is what you get even when we speak in person and then you see me on my Instagram, there's really no disconnect. Like I don't want to be a fake. I don't want to be like living a double life. Right. I don't have time for that. So and you're if not so- an actor, you know, online, yeah. and then you're a different person. And if somebody, and if somebody has a problem with me or says something, I will go online and I will just like, just say what's on my mind to a point as well. Again, like I don't want to be political. I don't want to be talking about some things and, And I don't want to, because the problem is when you start doing that, then that becomes your identity. Then you have to, that you have to sell that all the time. And again, also, because I don't like to see that from other people, I will unfollow somebody if I'm like, oh, why did you have to say that? Now, now you're going to be saying that for the next month or whatever. And I just don't even want to deal with it. Like I, I will unfollow people that are having babies. (laughs) <laughs> because I'm like, oh, now I'm going to have to look at this baby all the time. And I like you, but I just don't want to be seeing photos of babies on my feed. Like the Dover House, for example. I, the Dover House only follows house accounts now because I don't want the Dover House account to just become, be, be like, oh, well, you follow me, so I'll follow you, you know? I mean, there's definitely a lot of hate. I feel like the most hate that I get is in conversations with people on other accounts. So sometimes I'll like join a debate or like I'll say something to an article I read. And I'm like, this article is stupid or whatever. And then somebody will disagree with me. And then people are like vicious. People just don't have a concept of, this is like, they're not talking to a person. They're just talking to the air and just like saying whatever is on their mind. But yeah, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm an advocate of, just being mindful that you are talking to other people and not saying things that are not, not untrue, but you don't want to be, some people just, I don't know, some people like trolling, you know, it's just like you're, you're hiding behind an account. A lot of these people are private accounts. So you, you can't then follow up and see like, oh, you said this. Well, Let's see what your life is like. Where are you coming from? What is your perspective? There is none of that. So I just try not to engage in that part of the internet at all. And if there's, and if there's, you know, like negative, negative comments, I mean, I don't know. I guess people are allowed to think whatever they want. They are allowed to say whatever they want. It is my 
platform. It's my site. If I don't like something, I'll delete it. If I feel like it's harmful, I'll delete it. If I get a DM and somebody says that they don't agree with me or like attack me in any way, depending on the tone that they're mm. coming at me with, I have no problem with engaging in a discussion or debate. I, I enjoy getting other people's perspectives. You know, I think with the, the downfall of the internet and with the way that people are commenting and engaging with each other right now is that we are made to believe that whatever we think is like the absolute and that there's no possibility of changing your mind or seeing, putting yourself in another person's shoes or being empathetic. And I hate that. You know, it's like, I like to, if you don't agree with me, if you want to discuss this, if you want to fight over this, okay, well, let's hear your perspective and your point of view, but you can feel it out really quickly, whether or not they actually want to have a discussion or if they're just, they're just sending you a message and then they're just like moving on. They're not interested in having their mind changed or even seeing another perspective. So you can tell right away. And so, so sometimes I'll have those conversations and sometimes I don't. And I definitely see how it's harmful to a lot of people. I, I watch Social Dilemma on Netflix and I agree 100% with how it affects like the psyches of teenagers and, and all of that stuff. But it's, I mean, it's the new reality. I guess we just have to learn how to, we have to learn how to best live with it in a most aware state. The more you know about it, I feel like the less it's going to hurt you because you're not going to be, you're not going to be surprised by the things that you're finding on there. Do you find when you post, will you go back and, you know, I think a lot of people have issues with post goes and then they want that reinforcement right away. Mm -hmm. And is there a way, is there a way you kind of like, you shut it off for 24 hours after something? To be honest, the most value and joy that I get out of any post is when I leave it. When I post it and I leave it and I'll come back to it like hours later, can never make it a day, Yeah, yeah. but like hours. And then sometimes you're surprised. Sometimes you're like, oh, that went viral or like that got way more, more comments than I, and I thought, or even just like coming back and seeing like 30 comments at once versus just like one at a time as they come in can be a lot more rewarding mm. in general. But because it's my job, I'm just like glued to my phone at all times. I definitely try to take breaks from Instagram, uh, like weeks at a time. Oh, wow. And I know that it hurts my engagement and growth and whatever, because you're not constantly posting and constantly putting stuff out there, which is a big way to growth for sure. But at the same time, it's like, well, I care more about myself than about whether or not I get, you know, 5,000 more followers today, or am I going to, can I wait a few months to get 5,000 or do I have to get them all today? Kind of that sort of mentality. You, you just, from the very beginning, I was never really driven by the numbers very much as much as like they are a validation and, you know, motivation to do things and stuff. And obviously you need them if you want to be doing this as a full-time job. At the same time for, for mental health, I'm really trying to be healthy about it, like mentally and psychologically is I just don't care about the numbers. This is why when a client comes to me and they, to them, if that's the most important thing, I'm just like, we have nothing to talk about because I'm just, this is just going to hurt me. I'm going to be stressing out about this for you. And I'm just not going to end up with anything out of this relationship. Do they usually come with like some accounting KPIs that, you know, no, needs, no, um, very rarely. Uh, 
I mean, after every campaign and project, there is a component of this is how many, like the, give us the metrics and the insights for everything, which is fine. This is, you know, they do need to measure it somehow to, to make sure that they're getting the value out of it. But I never feel like, again, we're just very lucky. This is why we love our clients so much is the people that we work with, they're valuing the things that we're valuing out of social media, you know, the interactions, the, the community aspect of it, the being able to share things that excite you with the people that are like-minded, sort of like the tribe kind of aspect of it. So yeah, just the numbers are so like last for me about creating. This is why I'm not an influencer. I'm a creator. And this, that's the most important thing is like, you just have to prioritize and you prioritize, you have to prioritize yourself before you prioritize anything else. Because if you're not, if you're not able to be the best version of yourself to create the best work that you can, then it's going to show in your work. If, if people want millions of likes and, and hits on, on their content and stuff, then they will go to the, you know, the Kylie Jenners and the people that, that promote tummy tea or, right. you know, anything that comes their way. But then at the end of the day, it's like, I'm not following those people. I don't care about what they have to say. I'm not interested in their point of view because I don't think that they have one, you know, their point of view is, was whatever they're being paid to have. This week, yeah. Let's talk about Dover house. Yeah. It's an amazing project. What, uh, what's going on there? Why don't you tell so, the listeners? Yeah. So we started a renovation of a, on a house at the beginning of sort of at the beginning of the pandemic, October, 2020 is when we got this house. So because I was an accountant, obviously finances and money is always, and because I was an accountant and because I'm Polish, money's always on my mind. It's like a disease. So <laughs> obviously we have a business. We don't want to be spending every cent that we're making. The pandemic started, my brother's an accountant. We're all talking about the implications of this, what's happening all the time, like the conversations ongoing. We're always kind of like having our ear to the ground and wanting to make sure that we jump on whatever's happening before it's too late uh, in a way that like, oh, uh, you know, is the inflation. Inflation right. is the biggest thing yeah. that we've been talking about. So we want to make sure that we safeguard ourselves before these things really harm us. And also because being Polish, my family has gone through a devaluation of currency in Poland in the past. So we know very well how that ends. You know, my grandma, this is a story that we share a lot, but my grandma, I don't remember what year this was. This was, I think, before I was born or when I was like really young, the Polish government changed currency. Uh, they just like went with a completely different currency. They changed all the all the value of it. And my grandma was saving money for my brother for his first apartment so that he can buy himself furniture. And when the devaluation happened, all this money that she had, she was only able to buy one shoe with it, not a pair, one shoe. And so people just like lost everything they had. People were jumping out of buildings, killing themselves because every, like all the savings that they had, they had nothing all of a sudden. So anyway, knowing that things like that happen. I mean, things like that happen everywhere, Venezuela right now, you know? So we see them, but I feel like society is very focused on just like what's in front of their nose, really not learning lessons from other places or the past or whatever, which is fine. I, not everybody has, not, has access to that knowledge either. Anyway, pandemic happened and we had a bunch of cash in the bank and I'm like, inflation's going to happen eventually. Maybe so explain to, what happens when inflation happens. Yeah. So, I mean, so let's say you have a hundred dollars today 
and then inflation rises and your hundred dollars that can buy you, like what can you buy for a hundred bucks these days? A pair of shoes. You could buy a pair of shoes with a hundred bucks and inflation happens. And all of a sudden that pair of shoes, you can, you can no longer buy that. You need to add more money to buy that pair of shoes. And I, I guess because now the pair of shoes is more expensive, <laughs> yeah. but the money that you had is no longer able to buy you what you, what you could buy previously. The biggest problem with having cash is that if it's just sitting in the bank, it's not growing. You don't have it in any kind of investment account. And also too, the, I, I used to be a big proponent of GICs. I'm like, GICs are great because they're very safe and you're getting a pretty decent return. Um, you don't really have to put it in for very long, but pandemic happened. And I'm like, we have all this cash. I'll put, I'll put it in a GIC. I called the bank and the return was 0.06%. Something crazy. I'm like, this is like, I'm not, this money is not going to be, like, no, I'm not going to be putting it because the, the thing is that you're putting it in there and you can't touch it. Right. So like, I can't touch it and it's not growing at all. Like I'm going to make $6 on this money at the end of the year. That's well, like, inflation is that they're saying 6% and yeah, exactly. That's what they're saying. So it's more like 12%. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot to it. I mean, I feel like a lot of people also talk about that. Uh, oh, you know, I don't want to pay my mortgage off because the, the rate of the interest rate versus the the rate of return that I can get on my investment is higher, but I'm like, well, I just, I'm never, a, I'm never a fan of keeping debt at all. Mm. Like I, I'll, I'm very happy to put my money in investments once I have all of my debt paid off so that it's not just like this shadow over like this cloud over my head. So anyway, but it's a, it's a personal preference obviously. And different people have different risk thresholds. Yeah. So, so I started looking at houses we wanted to move to a house after my dad passed away. We were just going to move in with my mom and we were just never really able to find a house that uh, we were willing to afford because we live in a pretty good setup. We have three bedrooms and the apartment's pretty big. My mom has the same size apartment. So we have six bedrooms all together and, and we live in a neighborhood that we really like and it's close to everything. And so anyway, so now if I move anywhere else, my standard's very high. The bedrooms have to be a certain size. I, I need to be able to put a king size bed in my bedroom. I have like comforts that I'm just like not willing to give up. And all the houses that we were looking at because we wanted to move into the neighborhood that my brother lives in so we could all be close together. And they're all like infills and the bedrooms are so small and you're paying like up to a million dollars. And it's like, I just don't see the value. I do not see how this is worth a million dollars because to me, living in a specific neighborhood is never really important. I come from, it's not it's totally normal to have grown up in an apartment, to live in an apartment with your fam whole family. You know, my grandma lived with us in a three bedroom apartment and it was fine. It was like, there's really no downsides to this. This like house living is very North American and I just never really had a need for it. So I'm like, if I'm going to live in a house, then I need to have like a yard and like land and things that make sense about having a house. So I'm not going to settle for having three bedrooms, but I really only have one bedroom because the other two are so small. I can't even put a normal size bed in it. That's crazy. Like if you can't put your child, you have a kid's room and the, the, that is really used for them to sleep in. They can't even play there because there's not enough room. Like that's no thanks. So anyway, personal preference, right? Because obviously a lot of people want to live in places like that and they're willing to spend the money on it. But, and again, and the neighborhood thing is also not important. It's like where, wherever you're living is 
where you're living. Like if you can find a place that's big enough and, and, and looks good and you're happy with it, then it doesn't matter what neighborhood it's in. You have a car. I mean, Calgary, especially it's a car city. Like you, can get around every, everywhere very easily. It's not a big deal. Like what is, and in suburbia too, it's like, what's the point of being in any kind of neighborhood if all you're really doing there is living there? Cause you can't, there's really not like community activities or anything that's happening when you're in the city, like in downtown or somewhere where you have museums and parks and places to go, then I understand that a little bit more. So I can just go on about that forever because I just feel like it's such a missed thing that's happening in North America in general and big cities. Cause I, I don't know if smaller cities are different, but I mean, you, you definitely see it in LA, you definitely see it in New York in all the bigger, bigger cities in Canada. But so pandemic happened, we had a bunch of cash and I didn't want to keep it in the bank. So I started looking for a house and the house we found just kind of by accident, it was right really close to where we live. And it was really, really cheap. Dover house was $250,000. I'm oh, just wow. going to say it because I feel like people don't know that you can buy a house inner city for that amount of money. And reference in Calgary, the average home is like, I think it's 525 right now or yeah. 550. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, but it's a lot. <laughs> and also those, uh, those prices are like out of the city too. Like you have to drive, you have to drive, you know, 20, 30 minutes to, to a house that's 500,000 versus if you want to live inner city, like Marta Loop isn't the, the neighborhood that I'm, they're referring to specifically because it's like the hip neighborhood and it's where all the young families live and houses average there like 800,000 at least, I think. And there, the problem is again, small infills, you don't get, you don't get the full land. You, you have small uh, bedrooms. It's very vertical living, all of those things. So anyway, Dover house, super cheap. We're like, let's just get it. It's like, this is, this is literally the house costs just a little bit more than our condo. So yes, the house is like super decrepit and like really need, in need of work and stuff. But even if, even if we buy it and we renovate it, we're still coming out on top. We can put in $200,000 into that house and still be able to make money on it when we sell it. We got lucky though, because there's not a lot of houses on the market and that house uh, was really close to us. The, the neighborhood is an older neighborhood. So it's dying out mm. as morbid as it is. The people are all older people that live there and, you know, their children are already having places to live. So maybe they, this is what happened in our case. She didn't have children. So her family took the house and they just wanted to sell it right away and not have to deal with it. So we just got a really good deal. We got super lucky. So we bought the house and we went back and forth on what we're going to do with that house. A lot of the time we weren't going to move into it because we were, uh, it's too small for us. But we really love it. And now there's the possibility of a family member living there. And now maybe us living there. And, you know, we started working on it and we just fell in love with this house. And I used to always be of this mindset that I, I'm not going to buy a house unless it's brand new. I want a brand new house. It has to be like not touched by anybody. But now having had renovated an older bungalow, I love the older homes because knowing just the market and what's, what's available. They're just smarter mm. They're The kitchen is beside a window. So if you're cooking something smelly, you can open the window. Uh, the bedrooms are big. All the bedrooms are really big. So you can put a proper size bed and have like a living space in every room, 
which is like, you know, I grew up in a, in a setting where I'm like, my room is my escape. So I'm not just going right. there to sleep. I'm also going there to do my homework and play and all this other stuff. So as a child, obviously, and then as an adult, it's kind of the same thing. And the history of it, the fact that there's just more connected to the house and the neighborhood is really nice and the neighbors are so nice. And I don't know, I just... And you get you guys have renovated like literally everything there. Oh, yeah. So then we started renovating it and we went from like, oh, we're just going to flip this house. And then as the more we worked on it, I'm like, I really love it. Like, this is so cute. And the changes are so awesome. And like, it looks so good. And so then we started putting in more effort and more like better materials and more money into it. And then we're like, uh, let's let's uh, let's build a garage and then let's add all these things. And then like originally we weren't going to put the brick on the outside. And then when we were decided to keep it. We're like, okay, let's just make it really great. Let's make it what what our vision for it would be. Like, kind of like in my mind, the whole project was to inspire the neighborhood to be better. Because the street, <laughs> the street that we're living on is really nice. Everybody really cares about their homes. And but you know, you go into like parts of the neighborhood and it's like people don't really care. And it's like we're gonna we're gonna reclaim Dover as as like the neighborhood that it like that we see it as. So then we started working on it. And then our neighbors started getting really excited about everything. Like everybody coming up to the house, just being like, we love what you're doing. Wow. Like, this is so great for, for our street and for the neighborhood and everything. And it's like just inspiring people to see what is possible because I feel like a lot of the times people will just be scared to touch anything like that because it's a lot of work for sure. And you don't really know where, what you should be doing. I have some experience renovating condos. Okay. So I had like a great electrician, a, gr a great plumber already that I had gone through the pains of finding. So I had like a good starting point, but I have nothing, like I have no idea what a house is all about because I've never grown up in one. So I didn't know anything about a furnace. I didn't know anything about water heaters. I didn't know like anything about a, like how a building functions, right. you know, you're always in a condo and so the, the renovations are always cosmetic, but now all of a sudden it's like, oh, you really want to make sure that the bones and the things underneath are done well because the cosmetic stuff is easy, but it's all the other stuff. But so I learned so much and I can't wait to renovate another house. And are you guys going to do another one? <laughs> if we can find a deal, like I, you know, I'm not in a rush or whatever, but I'm always looking for other places in the neighborhood, especially the neighborhood. I just, I actually just started watching a show on HGTV recently that's called Good Bones the premise of it, I think, because I've only watched a couple of episodes, but the, the woman was saying that she is buying out houses in her neighborhood that the same, they're kind of, it's kind of like a less desirable neighborhood, but there's a lot of like beautiful houses and she just wants to show that you can, that the neighborhood is beautiful and you oh, can wow. make it. And I like, I love that idea. It's just such a great, because to me, it's like, yeah, you can just do a fast flip and do it on the cheap and, it always drives me so crazy because if the culture around real estate was that you really valued the place you live in, like you really put in the pride and the effort, then whoever moves in after you doesn't have to do those that, that work. You know, if you repaired your roof and if you made sure that your furnace was up to date and all of those things, then then it's not you're not buying things in the dark and and then, you know, thinking like getting a lemon and having to put in so much money into things that you don't really want to do. If we all took care of the things that we have, then it would just be like 
like it's like a trickle down effect. Then the next person doesn't have to worry about it. And then, then the next person, it's like you're always keeping things up because, you know, the real estate market is all about resale value. So people do think about it, but they just think about it in such backwards ways. Like people really do only care about the money and not about the pride that they put into getting there, which always, it just drives me crazy so much. You know, it's like, I would be willing to give up a little bit of the profit in order to, to know that I've made something amazing. So, and that, that doesn't only apply to, you know, resellers of people that are selling like used homes or whatever, but old homes, but developers as well. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that's getting developed around the city, it's garbage. And then, and the problem is that the market and the customer is willing to pay for it. Somebody is going to go in and they have no idea that what they're looking at is just trash and they're, and they're willing, and then they're going to buy it. And then, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to find out two years from now that it's all falling apart apart and you know, it's leaking or somebody didn't check something or whatever. Like we, we, when we talk to our contractors, the stories that you hear is just crazy. Somebody, somebody was renovating a house and they, they left like a nail inside of a pipe. Okay. And then, and then, you know, over time that nail got pushed out and it just started leaking. And then you have a leak underneath your wall and so you can't, there's like just no trust in the process of buying something as big as a house. And you're not just buying it with cash. People are taking out mortgages and going into crazy debt. Like the expectations should be way, way higher when we're spending money like that. People should, where, where can they can see the whole renovation from start to finish on, on Instagram. Instagram? Yeah, Dover un, or yeah, Dover underscore house. It's, it's amazing. You guys, it's... <laughs> We live in the same neighborhood and it's the (laughs) nicest house by far in the whole neighborhood. Oh, thank you. We, we try, we love it so much. It's like our little oasis. It's the gem. Yeah, it's for sure. But I hope that, I hope that we can see more houses like that in Dover and coming I think you're inspiring hopefully some people on the street. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Okay. So let's, uh, let's take this home. We'll shift a little bit more personal. You and your husband work together. Yeah. 24 seven. How do you get, you know, you live together, you work together. How do you balance? He's in the room. Yeah. He's sitting right here. I'd be careful what I say. (laughs) Uh, No, but we talk about it all the time that we're just really lucky that we like each other (laughs) because we've been married now for 10 years this. Yeah. Almost nine years this year. And we spent 24 seven together, like from the very beginning, like we've just been together from the very beginning. And we always say that like, because we're together nine years, but because of the time that we spent together, we really like, that's really an equivalent of 18 years of any other kind of relationship because right. people only really see their spouses in the mornings and the evenings, right. when they between work and stuff. And we do like each other. Obviously we have fights a lot. Like you can't spend that much time with somebody and not fight. But at the end of the day, I think that we know that both of us are working towards the same goals and, we want what's best for each other and we are, we are both supportive of each other's projects and, and things that we want to do. And Tyler also a very big thing. And obviously Tyler will get all the credit for this because I am, we're, we're also very different people. Tyler's so patient and I am 
so the opposite of that. Like I need things immediately. I want instant gratification. I have, I have no patience for stupidity. I have like, I'm just not as tolerant as he is in general of like things not being done my way and stuff like that. And yeah, so I think that him being that patient one and just, you know, like it doesn't have to be him. It could be me. And then he could be the crazy one, but just having that one person that that is able to balance off the other is very important for sure. Yeah. Would you, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, you said it. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you rest? What does rest look like for you? How do you reset? Oh, so great question. Because for the longest time, my dad passed away in 2015 and I like took work into overdrive after that. I used it as a distraction. I really didn't want to stop and have any time to think about the things that happened, because even like now, anytime I think about it, it's just like brings me to tears and I can't, it's not something like I grieving is not something that you ever end. It's not like, okay, I'm done grieving. Like you're always going to be missing that person. You're always going to think about it. It's I, I say that the pain of losing somebody, you don't get over it. You just get used to living with it. So at the very beginning, I just like gave myself over to work like crazy. I was just working all the time. Like my, my phone, I didn't turn off my like notifications on my email until maybe two or three years ago. Oh, wow. So my notifications always on and email would arrive and I would respond to it like the moment it arrived, like in the middle of the night even. Yeah, it was like intense, but I never really looked at it as a problem because I was just like, oh, we're just hustling. We're working hard to like get to our goal and, and all of that stuff. And at one point we were doing a job in Toronto, but we had just come back from Paris and we were only doing a layover in Toronto. We had a place in Toronto. So we were like, oh, no problem. We'll just stop, do a layover, go to our place, get everything settled. And then we'll just leave that same day in the evening to go back home. And uh, it was just a lot. And, and also the, the Paris flight was like, a layover in Iceland. So there was just like a lot of traveling that day. And then we got to our apartment and Tyler went somewhere to pick something up or something. And I thought I was having a heart attack. Like I, I think it was an anxiety attack or a panic attack or something. And I just was like, I, my muscle, my muscle was hurting like in my chest and it's happened a lot. And it happens sometimes, but a lot less now because of that moment, I was like, I'm having a heart attack, I think. So I called 911 and they came in and everything was fine. But I was like panicked a little bit, especially because my dad died from a heart attack. My grandma died, like my oh, wow. whole dad's side of the family all died from heart disease. So that's always like a big health yeah, uh, concern worry. for yeah. me. So I got really like, that was like eye opening for me. I'm like, we're working too much. Like this is crazy. We have to stop. We have to like chill out a little bit. And that's really kind of around when Tyler took more YouTube on at that time to, to kind of even out, you know, like make up the, the, the lost income or whatever. But, you know, it turned out that that wasn't really like the income really wasn't lost. All of a sudden, we just kind of prioritize things in different ways. So now we're just able to do less jobs for more money to make the same amount of money as we did before. And then plus Tyler took on more YouTube. So that was just kind of like a growth spurt as well. So it was like, oh, so I can, I can actually do rest and not really worry about any of those things and still grow. What a, what a revelation, you know? 
that was around, I would say, 2015, 2016. No, maybe even later than that, because uh, my dad passed away in 2015. So maybe like 20, 2017, 2018, I think is when that happened. And so from then on, I turned off all my notifications on my phone, all of them, and except for text messages. And then I take actual long breaks of social media. Like I will just not, if, you know, sometimes it's like, sometimes there's just a lot to post. You are doing something really exciting or you're traveling and every day is like something new and cool happening. And that's fine. Then that, that just happens, you know, naturally and organically and you don't have to like work at it. And sometimes there are periods when you actually have to come up with stuff and you have to work at it. So those moments, I'm like, well, maybe instead of creating, I'm just going to take a week off and just not worry about it. And just like talk to my mom and sit around with her and, and take her for walks and watch some TV and just, you know, put some more time into my own mental health and my own self-care. So important. Like, I just don't even know what would have happened if I didn't stop. I would definitely have a heart attack by now, <laughs> for sure. What's next for you guys? What's the future? Oh, it's so hard to say. We, we have never, ever been able to answer that question. Like, what do you want to do five years, five years from now? Our jobs are so fluid and they're very dependent on, I mean, obviously now with what the world looks like. So I really want to get back to traveling. Um, I hope that we'll be able to do it easily <laughs> without any kind of restrictions in the coming year. I don't know what's going to happen. It's like now I feel like we're at this time, January, we're going into this year totally blind. Like we have no idea what's going to happen. The Omicron, Omicron, whatever. It just like threw a wrench into every, everything. So everything that we thought we were like looking forward to in 2022 was kind of now what's going to happen with it. Is it going to, are we going to like, you know, come out on the other side of this with having the world go back to the way it was, or is it going to be even worse because people are more scared? So I don't know. I've always been, from the very beginning of this pandemic, I've just always been about living your life, not, not living in fear and just continuing living your life. Obviously we can only do it to a very certain point, but you know, up to the very last moment, I was just like, okay, this job is canceled. No problem. We'll, we'll do this other project. Oh, we can't fly somewhere. Okay. We're just going to drive. Okay. We can't drive. Okay. Well then we'll just go to the United States, but then they close the borders. Okay. So we're just going to do a project here at home. Oh, everything is shut down. Okay. Well then I guess we're just going to sit down and wait. <laughs> so it's just kind of like a waiting game at this point. And I'm just, I'm just excited to get back to, to creating and, and sharing things and inspiring people. And as much as I would love to, you know, I'm so on the fence with COVID stuff. I really don't want to talk about it on my channels and stuff, but I really do want to like encourage people to not let fear get the best of them. And that's like the biggest thing that I feel like I've been missing out on and really kind of disliking social media for this is not being able to talk about it in a non-polarizing way. Mm -hmm. I feel like no matter what you say online now yeah. is like people are just going to take it however they want to take it. And you are going to become somebody's enemy. And I really wish that that wasn't the case and that we could talk about it more openly and more encouragingly to each other without putting all of that other political stuff in the way because that would help a lot of people. Yeah. But. Hopefully 2022 it's behind us, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah. 
Where can uh, where can people find you online? At Anya B on Instagram. Um, AnyaB.net is my blog. And I've kind of abandoned everything else <laughs> for my own social or for my own uh, mental health. And they can and they can find me on any one of those at any time. I'm very big on DMs and I have a lot of like convert like real conversations. The real conversations on social media are happening in the DMs. They're not happening in comment section. If anybody wants to talk or feel uh, you know, any kind of camaraderie or somebody to relate to, I like I love chatting with people that just like to chat. So hit me up. Okay. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Wow, you've made it. Thanks for listening to By The Drip. If you could please subscribe, rate, and give us a comment. That'd mean the absolute world to me. Till next time.